if we can, as we kind of start out. Noah's going to run around with the mic, so good answer. And as always, if you don't want to give your answer, you can give the answer of somebody else at your table. But a person or team or organization that people idolize, and why do they idolize them? Come on, somebody give us one. Yes, sir. How you doing, my friend? He's got you, he got you with the mic right here. Yeah. That's, <laughs> we want to hear you. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Regardless of what Muhammad Ali's wife says. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. True. All right. Good. You got one right back here? All right. Go ahead. Uh, the NFL. The NFL? Just in general. Yeah. Just all in of general. it. Yeah. It's a man's man thing. Yeah. Okay. Good. All right. A couple others. Peep. Yes, sir. We were talking about the rich people of the world, I guess, uh, Richard Branson and uh, Tony Robbins and all that stuff, uh, basically because people were just drawn to their covetousness. Yeah. Uh, they want what other people have. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Yeah, right here, Mr. Upchurch. How about making America great again, Donald Trump? And okay. Everybody thinks because he's going to make everything great again. And if you're on the left-hand side, how about... Obama or Michelle. Yeah. yeah they, they idolize these people. So idolize people. Depends That's on right. which side of the table you're on. That's right. That's good. Yeah. All right. Yes, sir. Billy Graham. That's right. The organization and Billy Graham himself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a, that, that, that's right. That's right. That's right. I'm sure we all have, uh, you all had good answers at your table for people that you idolize. I'm sure a lot of you probably wanted to answer, maybe did answer at your table that it's Jesus that you idolize, and that's the right answer, of course. I know that's what Rob said probably at his table. Uh, I, I have to say, for me, growing up for a really long time, it was Michael Jordan, which was the first answer that was given here. I was, I was a teenager during his heyday. Uh, and actually, when I was in ninth grade, the summer of my, after my ninth grade year, my sister was working in Chicago doing an internship, and so my family went there for a few weeks and stayed, and I had one of the greatest chances of my entire life, which was to go to old Chicago Stadium in 1989, summer of 1989, old Chicago Stadium, and I got to see Michael Jordan play Larry Bird, Bulls and Celtics. It was incredible. It was one of the greatest gifts my dad ever gave me. My dad and I went. We sat about eight rows behind the Bulls. We heard everything that was said in all the timeouts. Jordan uh, was incredible that night. There's actually a highlight video of Jordan that if you were to go YouTube him, there's a highlight of him playing against this, the Celtics in the game that we were at where he saves the ball, throws it behind his back as it's on the sideline. He comes back inbounds, they give it back to him, and he dunks it. And we were there. I was, I was 40 feet away from that happening. It was the greatest thing. We were there with some friends who lived there. And the man, when it was over, said, hey, before we leave, let's walk down here. And we walked down at the end of the game. We walked down onto the floor. And as we're there, up walks Michael Jordan and comes over to my dad's friend, says, hey, Charlie, how you doing? And then puts out his hand and shakes my hand and says, hey, bud, how you doing? No idea that it was going to happen. Now, as a ninth grader, I probably acted like a fifth grade girl in that moment, <laughs> right? 
It was an awesome thing. And he asked me, he said, if you could ask me one question, what would you ask me? Make it a good one. That's what he said. And I asked him, I had watched a game to where he had, uh, for one time, had lost, he had not made the winning shot. And some of the fans booed. And that's the question I asked him. I said, what do you do being so good? What do you do when people boo you? And he said, it just fuels me to be better. But in that moment, it's one of the greatest moments of my life. Now, I had grown up. I know I don't look like it now. I loved basketball growing up. I played ball, I, you know, that kind of thing through middle school. Just loved it. And I like we would go out during the playoffs. When the playoffs would go to halftime, we would go out in the driveway and try to emulate what he had just done in the game. I idolized him. He was incredible. And then get to meet him made it that much better. Now, probably for you, you have people like that in your life that you just idolize, that you just think a lot of. And I have to say, because I had watched so much Jordan and tried to imitate him, I I would dare say that there was just a little bit of worshiping that went on. I kind of worshiped him a little bit. I wanted to be like him. I wanted to be around him. I wanted to watch him. I wanted to take all of him in that I could. So we're talking about spiritual disciplines. And last week we talked about taking in the word of God. And tonight we're talking about worshiping. And obviously we're not here to talk about worshiping Michael Jordan. We're here to talk about worshiping God. So I want us to take just a little bit of time, and I'm going to give you just a little bit, and then we're going to take it right back to your tables and let you talk a little bit more about it. Okay, but I want you to have this in in your minds as we talk about worship, right? What we get to know intimately, we worship. Whatever we want to get to know really well or what we spend our time focusing on, we worship that. And we want to worship God, And when we think about worship, a lot of times we think about going to church on a Sunday morning and having some songs sung and other things and then hearing a message. There's so much more to worship than just that. There's a quote here that'll be on the screens for you from a a great author, A.W. Tozer. He says, if you will not worship God seven days a week, then you do not worship him on one day a week. And what he's saying here is, is that you can't say that you're truly worshiping the Lord if what you do is show up on a Sunday morning or one day a week and you worship Him. Our worship has to be all the time. Our worship has to be seven days a week. The idea of worship that we have is just probably a little bit messed up maybe. Sometimes we put worship in the context of a service. We're going to sing a song. We're going to hear some scripture. We're going to pray. We're going to look at those around us and let them worship or see what everybody's doing. And then we're going to go home. I think one of the key things for us to realize when we talk about worship is that creation, all of creation, which we are part of, all of creation was designed to worship God. All of us as men in this room, we were designed to worship God. But the difference is that if we look out at all the beauty of everything on a beautiful day like today, that's so easy to do, we can see that it was designed to show who God is. It was designed, creation was designed to worship God. But for us as human beings, there's another element. Yes, we are designed to worship God, but we have to make the decision to worship God. So we're designed for it. We have to decide that we're going to do it. This is what it says in Psalms 95, 6 and 7. It says, come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. 
This is what it says, another quote, and this is from the book Spiritual Disciplines that Donald Whitney gives us. It says, when worship becomes empty, the problem lies within the subject being us, not the object, God. So when we look at it and go, you know, my worship, it's just not really, it just doesn't really happen. Like I, when I go to the worship service, I just don't really feel like raising my hands or I don't feel like singing a song or I'm just, I just don't really feel it. Right? Or, man, I do my quiet time, or I sit down with my Bible. I just don't get anything from it. The hard news of all of that, but something important for us to realize is that does not mean that God is the problem. It doesn't mean that He's not worthy or He's not able to fulfill us. The issue is with us as the subject. So, as we talk about worship tonight, I want us to have in mind how do we fix our eyes on Jesus? How do we worship Him? knowing that he is worthy of our worship. So I want to take it back to your tables, and then I'll come back and give you just a few things for us to consider. But I want you to talk at your tables for just a few minutes, and here's the question. What comes to mind when you think about worshiping God? So when you hear the word worship or worshiping God, what comes to mind for you? Talk about that at your tables, and then we'll get back together. Get back uh, together here. No doubt you've talked about a lot of different things that when, when worship comes to mind, you've, you've had a lot of different thoughts about that. I want us to kind of work, walk through this. You have a hand out there. Feel free to take notes on that all you want. Just let me give you a few things as we kind of get started here. We're talking about men that worship, right? And this is, can apply to all of us. Men that worship, first of all, they focus on and respond to God. They focus on and respond to God. You know, it's really hard to nail down um, just one central definition of worship, but a lot of it is this right here. It's just focusing on and responding to something. And in this case, it's worshiping the Lord, focusing on and responding to God. There's a lot of different scripture that really speaks to this. One of the scriptures that I love is when we, you hear, you've heard about doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas is the one who, when Jesus came back in his resurrected state, and he it says that he still had the nail-scarred hands, and Thomas still doesn't believe and, and doesn't believe that this is really Jesus in front of him because he had watched him die, and, and Jesus shows him his scars and, and lets us put his hands in his wounds, fingers in his wound. And his response to all of that, Thomas's response, immediate response is what? My Lord, my God. That is, a, that is a response to what is in front of him. That is responding and realizing I am with the Lord God Almighty. And so our worship is a response to, it's a focusing on who he is and it's a response to who he is. We have to worship or we have to approach God as worthy. And that that sounds like such church speak. The basis of us worshiping the Lord is that we believe that he is something more than what we think on our own that he is. It's that he really is worthy of our praise, that he really is everything that scripture says that he is. If we want to worship God, we first have to really focus on who he is. And it goes along great with what Derek said last week about taking in God's word. As we take in God's word, then we see who he is. And then we're able to see that he is worthy. He is worthy of our praise. Revelation is a great example of worshiping. We read in Revelation chapter 4, we know that this is going on as we speak right now. It says there's four living creatures, each of them with six wings, full of eyes all around and within, which is just crazy to think about. And day and night, they never cease to say what? Holy, holy, 
holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him, who's seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, so they're, they're reminding us of who God is. The 24 elders fall down before Him, who is seated on the throne and worship Him, who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. They are worshiping the Lord as we speak, and one day we will join them. That is what worship in heaven is like. What is worship on earth? You talked about this at your table some. Let's talk a little bit more about it. So what does worship here on earth look like? First of all, how do we respond to who he is, right? We remember that creation is designed to worship God. And I know this sounds frilly, and maybe for some of you, you're like, I'm never going to do that. But you should. You ought to get up in the morning, and when you're going, if you're really early going to work or outside and you see the sunrise, it ought to scream to you that God is worthy to be worshiped. It ought to scream to you when you are in the mountains or at the beach or wherever you are, that creation sings uh, his praises and shows who he is. The beautiful weather that we have today is a great reminder that we are to worship um, the risen Savior. The stillness of a morning, a lot of you take in the stillness of the morning. This all is a way that we respond to who he is. Believers around you worshiping is another way for you to focus on and respond to who God is. But it's not just that. We also focus on and respond to who God is and worship him that way through our words and through our actions. And there's so much that we could say. We won't dive into everything. But we, our hope would be, my hope would be, is that you speak to the Lord in such a way that he knows that you worship him, that he knows out loud that you know that he is worthy of your praise. And your words and your actions, how you speak to people is a way that you can worship the Lord that because he's created them, that you'll speak to them in a kind way. You worship the Lord through your words and through your actions. One of the things that Donald Whitney says here is a way that we worship God is first by being preoccupied with God. So you have all of these things, but the baseline of everything is who God is. We are preoccupied with God. Anything else we do is going to be um, outside of us understanding of who God is first. We are preoccupied with who God is. We worship God by focusing on and responding to who God is. So that's the number one thing. You know, I, uh, I, I think this applies. Uh, we, in, in our neighborhood, we love our neighborhood, and we have a little mile loop that goes around our neighborhood. Uh, and my wife and I like to walk it. Our kids do too, and are used to. They're too grown up to hang out with us now. But anyway, we we walk this loop a lot, and we we pass by a yard that's the most beautiful yard in all of our neighborhood. Um, and it's it's actually somebody that's in this room, and it's not Derek Ewalt's, even though I pass by his on my way. Derek Ewalt has a great yard. I give him no credit because his wife cuts his yard half the time. Anyway, um, you can talk to him about that. I'm just, is Derek even in the room anymore? Bathroom, perfect. Um, I'm just kidding. Derek has a great yard, but Sharon cuts it a lot. Uh, so, but I passed by, we passed by this yard, and it is Philip Hardy's yard. He's right back here. Uh, and Philip Hardy, I, I so appreciate a nice lawn. And Philip Hardy has the nicest one in our neighborhood, one of the nicest I've ever seen. Now, here's the deal. I, and and Philip knows this. I was actually in a meeting talking to Drew and, and David and Noah and some others. And I was telling them about Philip Hardy's yard. 
uh, and how nice it is. This is what I find myself doing. When I talk to Philip, and we have a lot to talk about, but when I talk to Philip, I usually mention something to him about his yard. He go, man, that zoysia is looking incredible. Or where'd you get the stones for that flower bed? I love it. And that's boring to some people. I'm telling you, it's awesome. I talk to him about something that he's really good at, and he spends a lot of time doing it. Now, he's not obsessed with it, but his lines are perfect in his yard. And then one day they're this way, and the next day they're this way. I'm not sure he doesn't mow his yard every day, but I just know that it's great. And I've talked to him about that. And when I come by, I see it, and I'm, I'm, I enjoy it. And I enjoy it for him and what he does. I don't, I don't know if this translates, but this is what I'm saying. Something that is awesome is something that I want to talk about and want to emulate. Now, I can give you all the reasons my yard doesn't look like his. I got neighbor's trees that they won't cut down. I can't get grass, all that kind of stuff. But the bottom line is, is that I talk to him about something. I bring it up and I want to emulate that. It's the same way when we're talking about the Lord, something so much more important than the lawn is that we focus on and then respond. And we, one of the ways that we focus on and respond is with our words and with our actions. We see something and then we want to emulate it. So we focus on and respond to God. Second thing is this. Men that worship give of themselves fully. They give of themselves fully. And that seems like a really easy statement to make, but there's a, there's a lot more to it there. This is what it says in John chapter 4. It's probably the foremost verse on worship in the New Testament. And it says this, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Let's break that down if we can, because we're talking about giving of ourselves fully, right? And so that's spirit and in truth. To worship God in spirit is to worship God from the inside out. Spirit from the inside out. And what I would tell you is this, is when we're talking about worshiping God in spirit, it's the difference in being sincere or in being hypocritical, right? When we can, on the outside, we can do a lot of things. We can, we can have these actions, but if we are, if it's not inside of us first, then we're just being a hypocrite. It has to be that we're worshiping God first in our spirit, that we're full of the Holy Spirit. And just because we have the spirit doesn't mean that we worship God, but because we have the spirit, we can worship God. So we have to have the spirit of God. So when we worship the God in spirit, it has to be something that's really inside of us. Once again, I love the game of basketball and I have so many great stories of growing up as a kid. One of the things, um, you know, one of the closest people in my life is my dad. He still is. Um, and just an awesome man. And I have such fond memories of being, uh, getting home from school and getting some of my homework done and then kind of knowing when my dad was going to be getting home from work. And I'm talking about elementary school, third, fourth, fifth grade, that kind of thing. And I made it a point to be outside, uh, either playing basketball with my friends or just shooting, waiting for my dad to get home. Because I knew that when my dad got home, he'd leave his briefcase in the car, he would, un- he would loosen his tie up, and then he'd play me in a game of basketball. And that happened a lot for a few years. It was a big deal. If he was on a business trip, I knew when he's coming home, my mom would tell me, and I'd be there with the basketball, and I knew he was going to play with me. We played a lot of basketball growing up. And he'd beat me every time, or he'd let me win, and I knew it, even at that age. I remember specifically the day that I really beat him. 
And I remember how terrible I felt about it. I didn't want to beat my dad at basketball. My dad, as far as I knew, he was Michael Jordan. You know, he was, he was so good at what he did. And he could beat me or he could allow me to beat him. But I could never really beat him. And I remember the day that I really did beat him. And I remember him making a big deal about that. But I can also remember him walking away going, things have changed. <laughs> you know, it's not the same anymore. And I'm telling you, in that moment, and, and maybe this is the wrong word, but I'm going to stick with it. I worshiped my dad. I thought he could do no wrong. I thought he was the best at everything. And for me to get to a point to realize that he was not the best at everything and that his whatever fifth grade son or sixth grade son could beat him at something was a hard thing for me to take in. But for me and my spirit at that point, I didn't, I didn't articulate it that way, but looking at it now, in my spirit, I knew, no, I knew that my dad was no longer the best at something. I knew that he did not have all the skills and he was not worthy for me to be the one to always look up to when it came to how to play the game of basketball. Because as a young kid, I could now beat him. But at the same time, when we would play, I remember specifically, you guys, the next times that we would do it, I, I would miss shots on purpose. I would make sure that I didn't win. To the point that my dad, you know, because his feelings weren't hurt. But at the point that my dad would be like, hey, do you want to play anymore? Because if you do, will you please play? I'm not looking for you to let me win. I don't need you to let me win, son. And I just remember in my heart going, but, I, but you're the best. It wasn't in my heart anymore, though. I wasn't sincere in thinking that he was the best at the game of basketball. It was no longer in my spirit that he was the best. When we talk about the Lord, obviously, it's never going to get to the point that we are better or more worthy of the Lord. So when we talk about this, we're, with sincerity, we are worshiping him, saying, holy, holy, holy. We are worshiping him in spirit and in truth. So that spirit side of things is an important part of it. Do you really believe in what you're worshiping? Do you really believe that? And then also, we worship God in truth. That's the second part of that. We worship God in spirit and truth. We worship him in truth. And what this means is, is that we worship him just as Scripture tells us he is, not in who we make him out to be. Do we worship God in truth for all that Scripture says that he is? Or do we not worship him because we have said, well, he hasn't met this need for me, or he doesn't do this for me. He doesn't talk to me this way. No, we have to worship him based on what Scripture tells us that he is. And there's all kinds of Scripture that tells us who he is. The third thing is this. I'm going to give you time at your tables. The third thing is this, is that men that worship do so publicly and privately. I think this is the most practical side of what we'll talk about, and I think it's an important thing for us to to look at, and I promise we're not going to make everybody here publicly worship and raise your hands and run around or anything like that. But it's important that we make sure that we understand the importance of both public and private worship. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, as the Hebrews are, are talking about how to live. It says, don't neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This meeting together is 100%, no doubt, worshiping. This is worshiping together. It's not just getting together and eating food. It's not getting together to watch the game 
or to just even to go out and serve and meet the needs of other people. It was to worship together as you dig into this. Don't neglect meeting together. It's important that you meet with other believers for the purpose of worship. And yes, that can include Bible intake. Yes, that can include um, uh, talking about you know, confessing sin and different things like that. But part of it is just coming together and worshiping the Lord. That's why we have worship services here. That's why we believe that corp- one of our three main things we want you to do is to worship. And we mean we want you to corporately worship with other people. So it's important that we uh, publicly and corporately worship. Exclusive personal spiritual growth is not the end game. It is so important. And we're going to talk about the private worship. But we, you are not created to sit at home in your prayer closet with just you and worship the Lord. That's good. That's not all. There is a sense and a need for public worship, corporate worship. Watching worship is not enough. I was walking over here tonight and a lady came up to me, which is always kind of crazy um, that how this happens. But this lady came up and she said, um, she told me her name. I don't even remember her name now. Uh, Carolyn. She said this, I'm Carolyn. And I said, great. I don't know who you are. I didn't say that, but great. And she said, I'm Carolyn from Bemis. And I said, okay, that's great. And it started to register with me. This is Carolyn from Bemis who watches online every week. And, um, and I get to be, you know, I'm part of that and saying hello to some different people. And she said, I'm Carolyn from Bemis. I'm not online anymore. I'm here in the building. And she was going to choir practice. She was going to choir to help other lead people uh, in worship, which is a great thing. I was reminded in that moment that watching worship is not enough. We have to be involved in it and we need the corporateness of it. We need the, the public worship together. If you watch online, that's great. That's a, that's a step. That's not the end game. It, there's, there's a part and a piece and a need for corporate worship. So that's the first thing is public worship. And then the other side of that is private worship. There is a need for private worship. You know, we see all throughout Scripture, and, and if we had another half hour, I'd love to walk through just a, a day of Jesus's life. But there's an important day. There's all kinds of important times that we see in the New Testament of Jesus as he goes throughout his life that he does all of these things. And a lot of, I mean, he goes to the synagogue. We know this as a child. He goes to the synagogue. And, and as an adult too, he goes to the synagogue. He worships there. But we also not know times that he pulls away. It says in Luke chapter five, verse 16, just one of the many, it says he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And we see this, the day that Jesus fed the 5,000, which had to be a time of worship, as, as the Lord provided, God provided for the needs of the people. But on the day that he fed the 5,000, the day that he healed the blind man, the day that he healed the leper, all at the same time, it's happening the same day that he has woken up to news that morning that his best friend, John the Baptist, has been killed. And we know that throughout that day, Jesus continues to try to withdraw to a place, to a desolate place, to be able to pray and commune with his heavenly father. Over and over again. This is the same day that the disciples get out on the sea and the storm comes. And he's trying to get once again to a place by himself, and yet still they need him. And so he walks out, he helps them. But we know that at the end of all of this, while he's done the corporate thing, he's done the public thing, that he still needs a time to withdraw to a quiet place. And he does that. 
If, if Jesus needs that, of course we need that. So you need the private time of worship. I read this. I wish I could say this is my quote. It's not. The flame of corporate worship begins with the flicker of our private worship. The flame of corporate worship begins with the flicker of our private worship. So it's, it's not one or the other. It's, it's both. And our corporate worship, our public worship, is better because of our private, because we go to the secret place. It's just us and we worship the Lord. And maybe for you, this is the place that you're not going to sing out loud in a public place because you don't think you can or you don't know the words or you can't look at the words and sing at the same time, whatever it is. But maybe for you, it's in this private place that you do open up your heart and you sing to the Lord or you meditate on his word or you read his scripture out loud. Things that you wouldn't do in a corporate setting for you or in a public setting that can happen in this place for you. The need for both public and corporate worship and the need for private worship are both important. So I want to encourage you in these three things. You have the men that worship focus on and respond to God, men that worship give of themselves fully, and men that worship do so publicly and privately. I want to pray for us, and then I'm going to ask you to turn it to your tables and uh, really, it's just a, it's a pretty easy question for you. It's the same one as last week. And it's this, is what is your next step? What do you do? And I don't know, maybe for some of you, it is that when you get into the public worship setting, that you turn your heart more towards the Lord than you do what you're going to do afterwards. I, let me just have a real honest, raw moment with you for a second. My, my family typically goes to Saturday night service because that's when we can all sit together and there's not as much going on. But that doesn't always happen. This Sunday, it worked out that this one, this Sunday, my wife and I went, our kids serve and go to life group on Sundays. That's why we go on Saturday nights. It didn't work out that Saturday night. So we were there on Sunday. And about halfway through, and if I want her to know I'm telling the story, then I'll tell her. But about halfway through, Dory just looks over and she says, hey, so are you going to take notes or are you going to text? That's what she said. To which I said, woman, you know, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I didn't, uh, I didn't say that at all. I said, I got you, you know. Now I was texting with things that were going on at the church. I wasn't texting about, you know, the game. Um, I was texting about important things, but they weren't the most important thing. And so for me, I want to model to my wife and to my kids that the most important thing I can do when I'm there in the worship service is to be all in. And to show that, it's, that God is worthy of my attention, which is such a selfish, immature thing for me to say, that I would even have to think that. But it's true. That God, God knows that he's worthy of that. I need to show that to him. I need to show that to my kids and to my wife and to those around me. Maybe that's, maybe that's a step for you. And I'm not here to say if you sing, then now raise your hands. I, I, I think that's all ridiculous. You do what the Lord calls you to do. I think a step for you is to be led by the Spirit. And as the Spirit leads you, you worship Him in spirit and truth. But that's the question. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm not going to give you all the answers that you could do. I want you all to talk about it. What is your next step? When it comes to worshiping, what is your next step? And then whatever it is, pray together and commit to take the next step. And I hope next week when you get in here, before we start, that instead of talking about whatever we talk about, you talk about what you did with that next step. Okay? Let me pray for us, and then we're going to turn it back to y'all. Lord, thank you so much uh, for this time, and thank you for these men 
uh, thank you that we get to be on this journey together in so many ways. Lord, you are worthy of our praise and our adoration and worthy of our worship. Lord, sometimes we just, we need to be reminded of that in the quietness. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that in the corporateness of others. Lord, whatever it is, Lord, I, I pray that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. And that on our hearts would be the whole thought of that you are worthy of us saying, holy, 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 all the time, everywhere we go. Lord, thank you for these men. I pray for them now as they have this time at their tables, that you would speak to them and through them to the others at their tables. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.